Hey everybody, this is Tommy Miller. I'm the senior pastor at Legacy Church. We're really excited that you decided to join our podcast this morning. Our intention is to give you the information and the resources that you need to bring heaven to earth by walking in the fullness of your identity and your destiny. Enjoy the sermon, enjoy your day, be blessed, and do what Jesus did. You guys ready? All right, I'm going to invite, I'm inviting you into something new this morning, and I want you to engage with this thing personally, okay? This isn't one of those words. As a matter of fact, I was pretty upset this, this week, and uh, my wife has to watch me go through these things, when I just have no idea what Sunday's supposed to be, look like, you know? And then, and then usually last minute, I've gotten to the point where I don't stress over it anymore. Last minute, God just drops something that he's feeling that I'm supposed to express. And this morning, I'm, I'm asking you to, inv- to, to receive the invitation into an expectation upgrade, okay? So this is for all of you. All of you have different expectations, but none of them, none of them are big enough. Is that all right? None of them are big enough. If we have a God who is able to do exceedingly and above anything that you could ask or think, that means if you've asked for it or if you've thought it, it's not big enough, Okay? That's the nature of God. That's the character of God. That's how he desires to conduct himself among you. So if it's been done before, it's old news. He desires to do new things. Not the next thing, not the thing that makes sense next in your life. Like, you know, like, what what would be a legitimate raise? Like, oh, going into 2024, you're going to get a 5% raise. How about a 500% raise? Right? If you can think it or ask it, it's not big enough. So I'm inviting you into an expectation upgrade, and I ask that you take this invitation personally, okay? Here's why. You will not change the world by asking God to help you survive, okay? There are minimum standards, minimum biblical standards regarding your finances, regarding your health, regarding your relationships that really most likely are completely out of line with your prayer life, right? Are you going to change the world by not having a late water bill? No. Absolutely not. The Bible, the minimum standard for your financial life is that you would be able to lend to nations and borrow from none. Right? I'm not making this up. This is in your Bible as well as mine. Right? And do we, do we need to go into the minimum expectation of your physical health? The body of a man exempt from decay. The minimum expectation. You are not here to survive. You're not here to just make it through and hopefully be able to pay for the box when you're all done. Right? Those suckers are expensive, by the way. Why don't we just skip that one? I'm inviting you into an expectation upgrade. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you foundational theology to be able to support it. But what I don't want you to do is to leave here thinking that this news is too good to be true or, even worse, reason yourself out of being worth everything that Jesus paid for, right? It's called the not you, not yet syndrome. 
right? The not you, not yet syndrome means that you will actually play God's part in self-judging, then self-atoning by delaying blessing for yourself because you deemed yourself of a different value than he has determined that you are, right? Good? All right, so I'm, we're, we're going to go deep, but we're going to get good today, all right? So this, uh, let's start in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. This is probably the verse that you hear mentioned most or more than any other verse that you hear mentioned in this, in this body. It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we might have boldness in the day of judgment, okay? First of all, let's start there. Most of our religious experience has taught us that we're trying to survive judgment, Right? Almost every message that you've ever heard has told you that you need to cross your T's, dot your I's, get yourself to a place where you can stand before an angry God. That's not congruent. Not congruent with God's judgment of you. And then it gives the reason that you might have boldness in the day of judgment. It's because as he is, so are you... In this world, okay? Be, come on, be, be a good Berean here. Does it say as he was, so you will be? Does it say as he is, so you will be after you die? Absolutely not. So as he is, currently in fact, okay? Here's another thing that you need to understand about that passage. This is not saying that you are like the Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead. This is not saying that you are like the Jesus that fed five thousands with two loaves and two and five loaves and two fish. This is like saying you are as he is currently in fact. You are as the Jesus who raised everybody from the dead. You are as he is that has the, the hills and the cattle on the hills. You are not the God of miracles. You are the God of dominion. Upgrade your expectation. You cannot change the world with paying your water bill on time. He desires that you would prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. It is good news, right? After this message, they're going to throw me, throw me in with that guy in Dallas. I know. I'm, listen, I will never be a poverty preacher. Jesus was never a poverty preacher. Do you know, do you know what Jesus, <laughs> do, you, do you know what they tore in pieces so that the people that were standing at the foot of his cross could take home? His Gucci suit. I'm going to. <laughs> Listen, he, ha, he had a seamless tunic. Those things cost a million bucks. Modern day apostles, they don't know prosperity the way Jesus knew prosperity. Jesus was set for life in the first nine months of his life. He had kings coming, bringing their wealth to the side of his crib. Okay? Upgrade your expectation. You want to be a good man? Raise your hand if you want to be a good man. I'm looking at you. Okay? Then you leave an inheritance for your children and your children's children. It's not about survival. Right? Do you, do you know why the Jewish population are among the most um, wealthy and profitable business people in the world? You ready for this? No, because they believe that money changes the world. They ain't wrong, right? They're not wrong. 
okay? So stop trying to survive. Understand that your portion is to be everything he is and nothing that he's not. He's not poor. He ain't sick. He ain't broken. He's ready to change the world through you, okay? Love has been perfected among us in this, that you might have boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness, not survival. Boldness in the day of judgment because as he is currently in fact raised above every principality, power, might, and dominion, seated at the right hand of God with authority over all things, so are you in this world. Come on. Say it again, John. Ever expanding, ever increasing. Now, check this out. How many of you have ever struggled with your destiny? I'm going to give you all the solution to your destiny. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his beloved son. If you've struggled with your destiny, the solution is found in Romans chapter 8. God desires that when people see you, they see him. Jeremiah, where's Jeremiah's in children? Hey, Jeremiah, listen, this guy preached a message at youth camp. He took out his cell phone, and he set some theology straight that day. He said, he preached on this verse, those whom he foreknew. He said, do you think Steve Jobs ever sees an Apple iPhone and goes, whoa, where'd that come from? Or do you think everything that ever came off the Apple line serialized, boxed, packaged, and shipped? And they know exactly where this thing was supposed to end up and what it was supposed to do before the foundation of its existence in someone's hand. Right? So that means there are no happy accidents in this kingdom. Right? He didn't paint with a broad brush and then, oh, shoot, where'd John Freshwater come from? Dang it, I didn't foreknow him, therefore I have to make up a destiny for him. No, he foreknew you. If he foreknew you, he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be, listen, the firstborn among many brethren. Can I tell you something? Uh, th- this was somebody's encounter, so I don't want to act like it's my theology. Kirby Delanero had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, and Jesus came and told him, I am the only begotten of the, son- of the Father. But I do not call myself the only begotten to exclude people. I am the only begotten to include everyone. Jesus doesn't have a second-born son. The father does not have grandchildren. He is the firstborn among many brethren, and you and I are the church, the called out, the ecclesia of the firstborn. There's no secondborn. That means everything that's his is yours. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to take what is his and declare it to you. If he foreknew you, he predestined you. He predestined you to be conformed to the image of his beloved son so that there could be a bunch of Christs on the earth. Right? You better be okay with this. 
I can find you a religious church to go to, but you won't find it here. God's destiny for each of us is the same. The gospel of the kingdom brings with it the transforming power of the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. The reason he, he wants you to be conformed into his image is because he desires for there to be a bunch just like him. The terminology that he chooses is king of, what's that make you? Lord of, father of lights, right? He's the captain of their salvation. He's the first fruits of those raised from the dead. He desires to bring many sons to glory, not just one. He was the forerunner. He was the firstborn of many brethren. He does not desire to keep a chasm between the Jesus Christ and the humanity in which Christ dwells. In that day you will know he's in the Father, you're in him, and you're all one. Do you get it? So if creation looks to you to see who he is, then a creation in survival mode is only going to allow creation to enter into survival mode, and they'll never thrive. They'll never thrive. The expectation that you have will frame your experience. Do you understand this? Okay, faith. Faith is a big part of kingdom life, and what faith is, is your expectation of the future. Different people in different encounters with Jesus got exactly what they expected from him. The woman with the issue of blood, familiar? Jesus said, who touched me? I felt virtue go out from me. His disciples thought he was being an idiot. Yeah, He said, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody touched you. You're literally in the middle of a crowd getting banged back and forth, Right? Who touched you? That's a dumb question, Jesus. He's like, no, no, no. Who touched me right? Yep. Who touched me with expectation? I felt virtue go out from me. He didn't even willingly decide to answer this woman's prayer. She approached him, made a call on his nature. His nature supplied what his nature provides, and that was her healing. Get it? Somebody came and invited Jesus to their house, so guess what he did? He went to their house. Yep, he went to their house and he healed their kid. And then he meets the centurion in the next chapter. In the next chapter, the centurion says, hey, I've got a sick kid at home. And Jesus says, let's go to your house. Centurion says, no. I'm a man under authority. You're a man under authority. I know what that means. That means all you have to do is speak. If you say it, it's done. So Jesus says, I've never seen such great faith even in all of Israel. Right? The woman thought Jesus had to come to her house. So he went to her house. He got, she got out of Jesus what she expected from him. Yep. The centurion got out of Jesus what, what he expected. Say it and it's done. What are you expecting? Are you expecting to survive? Are you expecting to get pulled through a knothole backwards and hope you make it and be able to afford the box when you're done? Right? Your faith will provide what your faith expects. I'm inviting you into an expectation upgrade. You're not here to survive. You are here to redeem creation from its bondage. Okay? We're not going to have the finances to change the world by believing God will cover our electric bill. We're not going to change the world by simply hoping we have what we need. Survival 
might actually be the biggest distraction the kingdom has ever seen. Think about it. Survival might be the biggest distraction that the kingdom has ever seen. If you can be earning, striving, trying, and deserving just to get what you need to survive, if you are not, listen, you can't even be effective until you're prosperous. Right? How are you supposed to lend to nations if you can't pay your bills? I'm not telling you to work harder. I'm, I'm telling you to expect more. Do you know how many copies of Deathless I want to sell? 100,000. That's my goal. Do you know how much money that makes me? 600,000. Am I ashamed? Can you imagine what New Philadelphia would look like if Tommy Miller had $600,000? Imagine what my boat would look like. No, I'm just kidding. God desires to point his resources towards the people he can trust in the earth to advance the kingdom of God in their region. He doesn't desire to circumvent your hand. He doesn't desire, listen, how about this? You, you really want some solid theology? Oh, yeah, I almost fell. That's twice this week. You want to hear a good story? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Okay. I have a... <laughs> I'm a catfish angler, okay? And one of the hardest parts about catfishing is catching bait. <laughs> the way I do it is I throw a 16-foot cast net. <laughs> Thing opens up like this big old pancake. Hits the water and then, ideally, rope it back in. It's got a bunch of shad in there. I was standing as far to the front of my boat as I can. <laughs> with passengers. And I wound up. And I wound up. And I went to toss this thing and the back of it got caught on my rod holder. <laughs> so I went... I fell for 10 minutes. I got a six-pack from that moment. And the, I immediately went to my fish finder and discovered that the water was a solid 57 degrees. The Lord is with me. And both of my palms hurt from grabbing onto the rail of my boat still. So anyway, yeah, I almost fell. What was I talking about? No, it wasn't about casting nets, even though that's a really good sermon. <clears throat> solid theology. Here's some solid theology. Keith's right. In Matthew 6, when the Bible talks about God meeting your needs, do you know he doesn't tell you that he's going to meet your needs like he meets the sparrow's needs or he meets the, the, lily of the, uh, the, the lily's needs? He said, aren't you of more value than they? Okay? Your father gives them what they need. Ready? You're going to get so mad. But God knows what you need before you ask it. Minimum standard. And he desires to give you the things that the Gentiles seek after. Right? 
Do you see the expectation upgrade? The birds have somewhere to stay. They have something to eat. The lilies, they don't toil or spin, and they're clothed finer, right, than Solomon ever was in all his glory. God knows what you need before you ask. You don't have to pray to have your needs met. But he desires, listen, understand, he didn't preach to any Gentiles for three and a half years after his resurrection. He only preached to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the Gentiles were unbelievers. He said he wants to give you the things that unbelievers are pursuing. Are you okay with that? Do you want me to just go ahead and say it? Money. Cars. Houses. Boats, right? What if somebody looked at your life and been, dang, like, they have to be blessed? They have to have God on their side. There's no way that that can happen in somebody's life. Listen, we've dumbed this gospel down, right? God doesn't bless you for you, but he does. Right? Do you know why I give my kids gifts? So they can use them to change the world. No, absolutely not. To reflect my love for them in the nature of the giver. My dad's so good. Yep. Get it? You don't have to pray to have your needs met. Upgrade your expectation. He desires to give you things that other people are seeking after. You don't even have to seek after them. As a matter of fact, ready? This is the key to that, that whole passage. You lose them if you seek after them. Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll add all of those things to you. Right? Survival is your distraction. Is it good? Oh, man. Okay. All right. Now, this, if I haven't committed heresy yet, give me five minutes. Okay? We won't... We won't change the world by asking him to do things he's already done. The entire education system of the Spirit is to put to death who you thought you were so that he can reveal who you've always been from before the foundation of the world. Now, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. You don't have to turn here. I'd rather you pay attention. This This is where it gets good. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, doctrines of baptisms, laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Okay? Follow me through this. Come up here now. Those are the kindergarten of faith. He does not desire that you use those doctrines to establish a foundation. He desires that you leave those behind. Okay? When Jesus taught about faith, 
He never, despite what some translators have have assumed or written, he never told you to have faith in God. He commanded you to have something else, right? Do you remember when he cursed the fig tree? And And Peter was astonished. He's like, Jesus, that thing you cursed yesterday is withered up and dried up from the roots. And Jesus turns to him and says, have God's faith. Okay, you ready for this? Have God's faith if you ask this tree to be plucked out by the root and thrown into the sea. It'll be done for you. Right? It's never about you having faith. It was about having God's faith. Now you're ready for this. You have faith in God for the redemption of creation. God has faith in you for the redemption of creation. You're expecting him to do what he has faith that you will do. So having God's faith means having, in, having faith in yourself. Okay? Are you okay? This is better news. This is better news than you thought. I usually don't tread this line this closely, but let's get over it, okay? Creation isn't being redeemed by us playing small. Do you guys remember when Abraham was asked by God to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice? Do you remember what Abraham called it when he told the lad that he and the, the, the excuse me, he told the servant that he and the lad were going yonder to what? Worship. Okay? Abraham had established God's value and had desired to express the value that he had established for God by offering his son. You realize that in the New Testament, these tables have turned. God has established your value, and he desires to express the value that he has established for you by offering his son. Do you get it? You have to leave the elementary principles behind, such as faith toward God. The mature expression of a son of God's faith is not faith in his father, it is the faith of his father, meaning his faith for the redemption of creation is in you. You all right with this? You sure? Okay. Am I wrong in saying that most of the things that they listed as elementary principles are actually the things we're still striving for? Yep. How about this? Let me give you a different way to look at the gospel. Hmm. There is a myth of progress in the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. Okay? It's not the works of men. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Right? So your portion in the gospel is believing what God believes about the gospel. 
Not that you would take 30 years worth of discipleship classes in hopes that you would be good enough to make it through judgment. I was part of a church, part of an assembly where the leaders had meetings that said that our job as ministers was preparing people to die. That's garbage theology. Jesus came that you might live and have life abundant, right? Not preparing people to die. That's the wrong message. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 shows us exactly how the gospel works. The gospel turns murderers into ministers in minutes. Do you hear me? The gospel turns murderers into ministers in minutes. You look like you need proof. Acts chapter 9. I won't read it all to you, but Saul was still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest. He asked letters from him of the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any, were, any of who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the guy just got permission to capture the followers of Jesus. Here's the, the, the thing that you need to recognize. He thinks that he's offering service to God by being religious. Okay? As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who, who are you, Lord? Then he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then he said, arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And then the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate or drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. Okay? In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here, he's been given authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentile kings and before the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias went his way, entered the house, and laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, ready? See these words? Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food and he was strengthened, Saul spent some days in, with the disciples at Damascus immediately, right? Here's another immediately word. He preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not the one who destroyed those who called in the name in Jerusalem? And he has come here for that purpose so, what, so that he might bring them bound Back to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus was the Christ. Murderer to minister in minutes. See it? Do you get it? So this myth of progress that you have to sit under teaching for 35 years just so you can make it through judgment is garbage. 
Jesus, you listen. When, when he talks about the son who was far off, he said, my son that was dead is now alive. Yep, he was lost, now he's found. There's your testimony. I've given your testimony and your destiny all in one message, right? Don't get confused. Everything you were never meant to be was taken away from who you are so that everything that he is might be manifest in your mortal body. That's the gospel, right? When you find things that contradict that truth, it's your responsibility to place them under the feet of your belief system so that you don't have to have faith in God. God, change me. God, change me. You have the faith of God. I've changed you and you will never be the same. Good? Having faith in God is asking God to do something that God's faith has given you to do. You ready? I'm going to go through some things in Matthew real quick. And I want you to pay really close attention to the kind of doctrine that Jesus actually rebuked, okay? Rarely, unless it was mistranslated, did he rebuke somebody for not believing that God could do something, okay? I'm not giving you one example. I'm not giving you two. I'm not giving you three. I had to stop at four. And I want you to pay attention to the nature of the rebukes that Jesus offered his disciples. You ready? Matthew chapter 8. Verse 23. It says, When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then the disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and calmed the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who is this, or who can this be that even the winds and sea obey him? What was Jesus upset about? That they didn't do it themselves. This is the nature of nearly every rebuke that Jesus offers his disciples. He desired to stay asleep. You will hear a lot of messages about being willing to wake Jesus. That is not the context. That is not a, a responsible approach to this text. Why were you afraid? Why did you wake me up? Who's this that even the waves listen to? They'd have listened to you if you would have believed what I believe about you. None of the disciples, once they got the, uh, a hang on this message, there is not one single prayer of petition in the book of Acts. Not one. When they came up, up, upon blind, sick, and, and leprous people, they spoke to the leprosy. They never asked God to get rid of it. They said, leprosy, leave. Get up. Receive your sight. Pick up your bed. Walk. Right? Matthew 14. Same book. Same guy, same disciples. You think they'd get the hang of it after a couple chapters? I think we'd get the hang of it after 2,000 years. Verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. When the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot. 
When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for, the, for them, and he healed their sick. Whoa. I just tried to scroll my Bible. <laughs> Nothing happened. <clears throat> when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. Then Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. (laughs) Yep, you're catching on. Feed them. You give them something to eat. Jesus was not there to affirm their faith in their Father. Jesus was present on earth to affirm the Father's faith in humanity. Please hear me. We only have five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took five loaves and two fish. Looking into heaven, he blessed it, broke it, and gave the loaves to the disciples. The disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men. Jesus, excuse me, besides women and children, he said, bring them here to me. Listen, he wanted to prove a point to them. How much did they start with? Nothing. They found a teenager that had some food, right? Mom packed a lunch, right? Two fish, five loaves. He wanted to prove something to them. (laughs) You feed them. When they were done, they each had a basket to take home. Yep, it doesn't matter what you start with. It matters who you walk with. Okay? All right. You want to keep going? (laughs) Are you sure? Matthew 16. Verse 5. Now, when his disciples had come together on the other side, they had forgotten to bring bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we brought no bread? Jesus said, Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves or 5,000 or how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves or the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up then? How is it that you don't understand that it did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine. Everybody say doctrine. Of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Right? Okay, here's another rebuke. They still don't get it. And he said, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. What's the doctrine of the Pharisees? Earning, striving, trying, and deserving, right? You look at your hands to see what you can produce. He said, if you enter into that realm, you will always be surviving, You'll never have enough. You might have just enough, but you will never become a a solution for the world's problems. You're not going to feed 5,000 because you can pay your water bill. You feed them. They would have had to have believed the right thing about themselves in order to believe that they are a resource to creation and not a vacuum of creation. Right? They are a life-giving spirit, not a living soul. So when, he to- when they figured out that he's talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees, he's talking about es- establishing a system where you analyze your performance to determine your value. And if you do that, you'll never believe that you are as he is. 
And if you never believe that you are as he is, you'll never believe that you can do what he does. Your destiny is your identity full grown. Who you believe you are will determine the path that you take and the things that you do. Okay, one more. Go to chapter 17. No, I lied. We're going to do two more. Then Jesus answered and said, oh, this is verse 17. Did I tell you that already? Matthew 17, verse 17. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. This is our fourth moment in the book of Matthew where Jesus offers the same rebuke. He's just mad that you don't believe that you can do what he did. That's it. He's not rebuking your faith in your father. He's rebuking you for not believing what the father believes about you. This is the nature of the rebuke that Jesus continually offers in the gospel. No matter how many times we read it, we still put it in the the religious lens where we think that, that our solution to our problem is to have more faith in God. Your Bible says faith in God is the elementary expression of sonship. Elementary, if you want to move on to mature things, if you want to go on to perfection, as Hebrews says, then you have to have God's faith. He turns the tables on you. He believes that humanity is the hope of the world. Read your Bible. I'm not making it up. If you haven't been here long enough to know that this is the message we preach, just read your Bible. I'm not making it up. All of creation is crying out with birth pangs for the second coming of Jesus. No. All of creation is crying out with birth pangs for the manifestation of the sons of God. Okay? Mark, chapter 4. This is where I'm going to close up. Becca, if you want to join me, I'd love to have you up here. Before we jump into Mark 4, the context of Matthew 17 is the disciples were approached by a demon-possessed child, and Jesus' rebuke was, you should have and could have done this yourself. I want to honor a community leader for a moment that told me something spectacular a few weeks ago. Brian Proctor is the owner of Map Investments. Yeah, he's Olivia's boss too. <clears throat> Truly one of the most genuine expressions of, of Christian masculinity and just a, a lover of the gospel that I know. And he was telling me a story and he said, prayer is plan B. And he said, no, look at the gospels. Prayer is plan B. Picking somebody up out of their wheelchair is plan A, right? Saying, get up and walk, that's plan A. Praying for somebody is plan B, right? The actual expression of Christ-likeness is taking dominion over creation because you believe about you what God believes about you. Prayers of petition are not God's first solution for contradiction in creation. 
prayers of command from people that he foreknew and also predestined to be conformed into the image of his beloved son so he can be the firstborn among a bunch of firstborns. Get it? When he was departing, he understood that his three and a half year ministry was limited, this is more heresy, by not being resurrected and glorified. So he did not say, everything that I've done, you'll do also. He knew that when he placed them in himself and raised them to the right hand of the Father with him, that that would produce greater works than he had ever accomplished, okay? So the minimum standard, I'll use Jonathan Welton's language. You know there's a difference between average and normal. American people have an average of nine and a half fingers. (laughs) That doesn't mean that it's normal. Right? So we're not looking for average Christianity. We're not looking to fall somewhere in the middle of mediocre and, and, and radical. Normal Christianity is greater works than Jesus you will do. Mark 4, when they had left, this is verse 36, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose. The waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. The wind ceased. There was a great calm, but he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay. I'm coming for you now. Asking Jesus to fix their problem was a lack of faith. Did I make it up? Asking Jesus to fix their problem was a lack of faith. We have to get this right. Creation is longing for you to stop playing small. Creation is desperate for you to increase your expectations of what God desires to do for you, with you, and through you. He does not desire for you to stay an immature or mediocre Christian. And he does not desire for you to solve the problem of immaturity by education. He desires to solve the problem of immaturity for you through revelation. Transformation happens at the speed of revelation, not education. So as he says it, it becomes true and it becomes manifest. You got me? Do you remember that one time a long time ago when I told you that that was the last passage we were going to read? That was a lie. I've got one more for you, okay? 
Matthew chapter 14, you don't have to turn here, this is the last thing I'm going to talk about, right? Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea, and when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. They cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it's me, don't be afraid. Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And Peter had come down out of the boat and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, listen, come on, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Lord, save me was a prayer of unbelief. Lord, save me was a prayer of a doubter. Jesus rebuked him yet again for not believing that he could do what he was witnessing Jesus do. The gospel does not make you dependent on God. It makes you as God. If you can refute this, I'll give you a million dollars. You can't do it. You are a son of God, but you are a master of creation. You're a servant of men, a son of God, and a master of creation. You understand that? Stand with me. There's nobody in here that I'm about to permit to exempt themselves from the truth of this message. Any excuse or any reasoning that you can possibly find to justify why you're not good enough to receive the gospel is garbage. He intentionally, let's talk about Abraham again, right? Abraham established God's value and then he, he offered a sacrifice that expressed how valuable God was to him right? And then God turns the tables on you. He establishes your value, and before you did anything, offers his own son not to establish, but to reveal the value that he had already established in you, right? You were worth bankrupting heaven for before you did any right thing, before you participated in any local church, before you prayed any prayer. You were in him before the foundation of the world. That qualifies you to participate in the character and likeness of Jesus Christ. You don't have to train. You don't have to strive. You don't have to try. You don't have to deserve. The momentum of the kingdom comes from the atmosphere and avenue of rest. It's true because it is, right? That's really difficult. It's not true because you have evidence. It's not true because you've earned it. It's true because it is. And now you've adopted, rather than faith towards God, you've adopted God's faith. And now you believe that you're the redemptive agent of all of creation. I want to pray over all of you. I told you I was extending an invitation to you. I'm extending an invitation to upgrade your expectations. I'm, I'm offering you prophetically a way to step out of the cycles of dissatisfaction that you've lived in all of your life. You are not made for this. You're not made to walk around wildernesses. You're not made to walk around mountains. You're made to enter freely into the promised land so that you might produce the fruits of righteousness in the land of the living. You understand?
right? It's time that we stop. Every single person that ever crosses the threshold of this building will experience the Saul to Paul transition. He had some food, he took a nap, and then he proved that Jesus was the Christ, right? We're all for all three of those things, right? I, I invite you, listen, if this message hit you and you kind of like, you know, folded your arms, be like, that sounds way too like prosperity gospel just read your Bible, right? Don't listen to angry men behind pulpits that pre- preach mad, okay? That's not who you're getting your truth from. The Word is a person. No one saw God at any time, but the Son of God fully expressed Him. Yep, He was the express image of the Father. That means Jesus is perfect theology. Through His life, through His death, through His burial, and through His resurrection, we get to see the character and nature of the Father, the one that you were predestined to be conformed to. Amen? Listen, I want you to take prophetic action this morning to upgrade your expectation. So wherever you're standing, if you're willing to step into this revelation, this message, revisit it. I think you're going to have to listen to it three times this week. Okay? Commit to it. Listen to it three times this week because here's what happens. The word of the kingdom attracts opposition. Every time, right? God said um, that he made Adam and Eve in their own image and he said they were very good. And then the moment he said they were very good, here comes a snake. Yep. The snake came and said, if you do this, you'll be like God. He tried to sow the same message into Adam and Eve that he's going to try to sow into you. If what that preacher said about you is true, then why? Right? Or if you want to be like he said you could be, then you need to do. No. You need to believe. Have God's faith. That's it. Right? And then we see Jesus redeem Adam's moment. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then he's immediately led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil himself. And the devil says, if you are the son of God, he's asking him to produce evidence. Church, you don't need evidence. You need God's faith. Got me? Okay. In the kingdom, you can use physical prophetic activation to step into something spiritually significant. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you, if you want to receive this, this upgrade in expectation, just take one step forward. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this message. Thank you for all of these people that are here gathered knowing that they're here to be brought to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Father, that, that we would adopt this message that your faith is in us You ask that we believe what you believe about us and yourself, that the unveiled Christ would show us unveiled humanity so that humanity might redeem creation to the Father. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this revelation, and we ask that you bless our time, that you give us the opportunity to listen to this message three times this week, and that it become part of our very being. Father, let us see evidence of our increased expectation in our finances, in our health, in our relationships, in our children, in our families. Father, we're done. We're so done surviving. No more paycheck to paycheck. No more offering to offering. Father, let's go. Show us what it looks like to live in the kingdom. No more survival. Father, give us abundant life that you've promised from before the foundation of the world. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Give God a shout this morning.